Hey, so what's going on, everybody? My name is Jordan. I am one of the pastors here at Renaissance and very grateful uh, to be with you guys today. Uh, we've been in for the last number of weeks, this series of Genesis. And we've broken the series down into two parts, the first of which we're doing right now called Anatomy. Essentially, we've been trying to take things apart to see how they work. First week, we talked about deception, and last week, Aswan did a phenomenal job talking about shame. And if you weren't here, I would strongly recommend that you get that podcast. Um, but the, reason, the reasoning behind what we've been doing in the series is that there is a, a way that things work in our life. There's a way that deception and shame, that they work across the spectrum in all of our lives. We've been trying to equip each other so that these things would not take root in our own lives. Today we're talking about something that nobody in here would ever want to admit is a part of your life, envy. Uh, we're going to be looking at the story of Cain and, and Abel, but before we get into envy and what it is and how it works, um, I want to define it really quickly. Envy is a mingling of a desire for something with the resentment that another is enjoying it and you are not. Envy is sorrow at another's good. Envy is when you take pleasure at the misfortune of others and feel pain because others have good things. And if we let it, envy will rot away at our souls. Now also, before we get too far down the road, I wanna make sure that I'm saying what envy is not. And aspirations, for example, and having desires, that in and of itself is not envy. Some of you have mentors who you want to be like. You want to have a profession like they have, and there is absolutely nothing wrong with having aspirations and desires. Some of you sitting here were just watching families dedicating their beautiful children to the Lord, and you have aspirations and desires that one day you too will be on stage dedicating your kids. And, uh, aspirations and desires are not the same thing as envy. And I want to make sure that we don't conflate those two things as we're, as we're starting. Uh, last year, I went on a, a journey, emotionally and spiritually, to uh, grow a beard. And one of, <laughs> one of the things I would do is every night on Instagram, my wife would be like, what are you looking at? And there was this guy on Instagram, his beard is amazing. And I would uh, watch his uh, stories and all of his advice on, on Instagram, uh, aspiring to have a beard like his, sometimes aspiration is God-given. Aspiration is not the same thing as envy, though. Envy is desire with resentment and anger that someone else has it and you don't. I remember the first time that I could really say and re that I felt envy. Um, it probably took place my junior year in high school playing basketball, and I was not starting, and there was someone else my age who was starting over me. And I remember the feeling that I would get when they were announcing his name for the starting lineup, and he would jump off the bench, throw off his warm-up, and run out and high-five everybody, and him winning made me feel like I was losing. I remember one game where we were playing against a really good team, and he was playing terribly, and every time he missed a shot, a piece of me just like leapt with excitement. <laughs> And then like, he was playing so bad, eventually the coach took him out and he sat next to me on the bench and I was like, ah, oh, man, you know, it's, it's tough, bro. <laughs> uh, but deep down inside, I was, I was happy. Why is that? Because envy uh, makes other people's success feel like your own failure. 
Envy lead, makes other people's success feel like our own failure. And here's the craziest thing about envy, y'all. There is no socially acceptable place you can talk about your envy. How, who would you tell that you are upset that someone else is living their best life? As we'll see later on in the message, envy tends to be the people that are, we're close to. And who do you tell? Who do you tell that you are deeply frustrated and upset, not with the fact that they have done anything to you at all, but simply by the fact that they are winning and their success is starting to feel like your failure. We're going to get free today, though, y'all. So we're going to take a look at envy, what it is made up of, and how to evict it from our hearts. Envy is one of those things that falls into the category of one of the seven deadly sins, uh, meaning that it will choke out whatever good that God is trying to do in your life. Our mission is to connect people to Jesus Christ and to each other. And where envy is growing, it will separate you from both God and other people. So here's a quick overview of the anatomy of envy and what it is um, and what it could do in our life. It's directed at those with whom we compare ourselves. It causes sorrow and anger. It comes from somewhere already within us. And it leads to other sins. This is what we see in Genesis 4, and if you've ever been to church growing up and you heard the story about Cain killing his brother Abel, this story is much bigger than a murder drama. This story is about envy leading to other sins in Cain's life. So let's take a quick look at the story to see the anatomy of envy. Adam, or the man, was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have, a ma- I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. The Lord, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. But Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? Then he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Uh, The first thing that we see in this text, I want to go back to verses 3 through 5. And it says, in the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering. So we have Cain presenting an offering, Abel presenting an offering. Uh, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord has regard for, for Abel, but not for Cain. The first aspect of anatomy, the skeleton of anatomy, is that it is directed at those with whom we compare ourselves. Envy is highly relational, and it is directed at the people with whom we compare ourselves. Envy thrives in situations where someone is just like you. They're no better than you, but they're doing better than you. So you are very similar, but they're doing better than you are. People working in the mailroom at Goldman Sachs do not envy the CEO. 
CEOs envy other CEOs. And this is one of the reasons that envy is so disruptive to our faith and to our community is because you and I, we choose to hang out with people that are like us, which also means that the people that you are most likely to envy are those who are closest to you. Cain and Abel were the same. There was nothing special about Abel that would have differentiated the two. But Abel's sacrifice was accepted. Cain's was not. And Abraham being accepted and Cain was not made Cain feel like Abel's success was his own failure. Now, chances are you and I, chances are you and I do not feel envy in areas that uh, you don't uh, really involve yourself in. One of the things that's really amazing about Renaissance, all the people that come and their stories and your passions and your interests. And on any given Sunday, I can talk to anyone who's doing amazing things in different fields. And a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a sister who is really close to getting on Broadway. And I remember looking at the excitement in her eyes and I was like, yo, this is really amazing. Like she came to New York on this dream and this joint really about to happen. And I remember walking home and telling my wife about how amazing it was that she's about to potentially be on Broadway. And there is not one piece of my soul that felt any envy for her because I don't act. It's not because I'm spiritual. It's not because I'm a pastor. It's not because I pray a lot. It's because I don't compare myself with other actors. I could not sing my way out of a wet paper bag. (laughs) So being on Broadway is nothing that I've ever even thought about. Who Jordan does compare himself to are the church planters. I'll never forget, I was talking to a friend of mine who was just over the moon with how well this one church planter was doing across the country. And he was telling me that on their first anniversary, 500 people showed up and like 30 people got baptized. And while he was talking, his success felt like my failure. I felt like there was something inferior about me, that maybe everyone else is doing something well and then just something, there's something dysfunctional about me that I'm not doing as well as other people. And the first step of envy is that it will always be directed at other people that you compare yourself to. And this also makes envy really difficult because envy takes your focus and it snatches it away from God. It snatches it away from God's dreams for your life and the direction you should be facing and it puts it on other people. Now, instead of thinking about what God has for you, you're worrying and thinking about what other people are doing and what other people have. Envy happens and then their success feels like your failure. Now, it's interesting, when we think about comparison, we've talked about this before, comparing ourselves only leads to two different places. One, it will lead to pride, that you're feeling like you're doing better than other people. Or two, it will lead to envy and disappointment that you're not doing as well as they're doing. There's no win in comparison. So number one, envy is directed at those with whom we compare ourselves. And secondly, envy leads to sorrow and anger. Now, the anger is not necessarily about the fact that they're enjoying good things. The anger is that they're enjoying good things and you're not. Uh, Here's what we see later in the text. It says, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious and why do you look so despondent? Now, it's interesting. It's not just that Jordan, when he's envious of someone else, it's not just that I am angry about a situation, but that that 
I'm internalizing now some feeling of inferiority, and envy is one of these things that there is absolutely no pleasure whatsoever in it. It's one of the only sins, if not the only sin, that there is at no point in this entire equation ever going to be one second of pleasure. Other things are not like that. If you're greedy and you feel like, man, God is calling you to be generous with this family or somebody that you're supposed to give some money away, and you say, you know what, instead, I'm going to go to Cancun. If you're not generous and you're greedy and you hoard your money, in the long term, is that a good thing for your soul? No. But would you have had fun that weekend? Yes. At least with other things like greed or whatever, it does feel good, at least in the short term. With envy, it never leads to anything other than bitterness, resentment, anger, and sorrow. I I say that to not kind of heap on more coals about it, but just to talk about just the, the, the wide nature of how pervasive it is and what this would do to you if you do not attack this in your life. Now, it's interesting. Scripture tells us that the definition of true brotherly and sisterly love is to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Envy changes that equation completely, and we rejoice at those who mourn, and we mourn at those who rejoice. Envy leads to sorrow and anger. And if you want to trace out envy in your life, follow the anger. Don't suppress it. Don't hide it. Unblock them on Instagram and follow that anger. That anger will show you the direction, uh, that anger will very likely show you what it is that you are envious of. What makes you feel inferior to other people? That's a question that I would spend a lot of time examining um, and to understand the root of envy in our lives. Now, Cain was not just angry at the situation, he was also angry at God because it felt like God was playing favorites and he just wasn't it. That's what envy does. It doesn't just change our perception of the situation. It changes our perception of God and God's very nature. It makes us feel like God is unfair, like God is playing favorites, like God has it out for us, like God has good things, but he just doesn't have those good things for you. And it's always a dangerous situation where what we want changes the way that we see God. There's a scripture in Matthew 7 where Jesus tells us about the nature and the character of God our Father. And this is what it is. He says, who among you, if his son asked him for bread, would you give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, by the way, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? When we're envious, we're believing the na- that the nature of God is that he wants to give us stones. Um, now, thirdly, so not only does, is envy directed at those with whom we compare ourselves and does it cause sorrow and anger, envy also c- already comes from somewhere within us. This is not an attack that's coming from the outside anywhere. This is something that's already inside of our hearts and our lives. In verse 7, it says, if you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Here's what the scripture is telling us. That right now, at this very second, crouching, lurking in the back, dark corner of your heart is envy. And either you will rule over it or it will rule over you. 
Now, this shouldn't be too upsetting to you, although our culture tells us that if you want to find goodness and wisdom and all things good, you should look within your heart. Scripture gives us a much different picture of what our hearts look like and the actual real nature of what's going on inside of us, that if you want goodness and wisdom and freedom and joy, don't look to your heart. Your heart's actually pretty deceitful. We need that from God. One of my favorite scriptures in the Bible is uh, this portion of scripture in Romans 7, and it's written by a dude named Paul. Paul wrote a lot of the books in the New Testament, and Paul is this spiritual giant that a lot of people have come to respect about his knowledge and his ability to understand deep concepts. And Paul says this is his actual struggle with life. He says, there are good things that I want to do that I do not do. There are bad things that I don't want to do. Those are the things that I end up doing. And then in verse 18, he says, For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. Envy is already there in our hearts, and you and I can deny it in our lives if we want, but denying its presence will not prevent it from showing up in our life. Uh, I went to the dentist this past Thursday, and if you know me, you know that I, I absolutely hate going to the dentist, um, and I've hated it my entire life, mostly because I've gotten nothing but bad news almost every time I've gone. I have been told that I have genetically soft teeth, which is uh, not the greatest uh, trait that someone would look for in a spouse. Um, <laughs> I didn't tell my wife that or the amount of my student loans until we got married. <laughs> Surprise, honey. Um, but I've had dental problems in my entire life, and um, so I hate going, and I always make excuses why I shouldn't go. And I went last week, sat, off in a sat up in a chair, and first off, major shout out to Harlem Dental on 135th, Dr. Riordan, um, black woman magic all up in that office. She, she is phenomenal. They took good care of me. And while being there, she asked, like, so when's the last time you've been to the dentist? I was like, well, you know, like, what, what's today? It's like, uh... Yeah, I mean, a couple months, years, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> All this time, I was in my brain denying the fact that I was having any problems, and I was delaying going to the dentist. That denial and that delay did not lead to anything good. Instead of having to get a regular cleaning, I had to get the deep cleaning. <laughs> where they take, where she takes, you know it's bad when they're like hiding the, the, the stuff behind their back. Like, yo, just close your eyes. And I'm like, oh, this is not going to be, it's not going to be good. Envy is one of these things. We cannot delay and deny our way to godliness and peace. It does us no good to deny that envy is in our lives. I know how it's going to go already in community group. They're going to go around, talk about envy, and nobody's going to have anything to say about it. That, delay, that, that denial and that delay of talking about it doesn't mean that it's not already there. We can't delay and deny our way into godliness. Fourthly, envy leads to other sins. In the case of Cain and Abel, he killed him. And I don't want you to let yourself off the hook because you haven't or you might not have killed, killed anyone. Envy leads to every other type of sin. It doesn't, just make you, it doesn't just stop at making you sad and disillusioned. It doesn't just stop at making you resent God. It leads to every other type of sin. In James 3.16, it says, For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. Envy leads to other things. 
I've seen people literally demolish their families with overwork because deep down inside they were feeling inferior in comparing themselves to other people and feeling like they had to measure up with other people. And in doing that, they worked and worked and worked and worked and overworked and they sacrificed their family at the altar. I've seen brothers and sisters in the faith fall out completely because of gossip and other things that have happened and where someone shared something in secret and then that secret gets spread out all over the community and what's behind the gossip other than that some people take pleasure at the pain of other people. Most importantly, I've seen people walk away from Jesus completely because God wasn't giving them the version of life that they wanted for themselves. They had these desires for good things mixed with this resent that they were not enjoying them. And that resent made him say, if God is not giving me this, it's not worth it. So how do we evict envy from our life so that it's not taking root, so that it's not destroying our relationship with God and, and other people? Uh, there are steps to evicting envy from our life. And uh, years ago, I, when I was practicing law, I did some, some uh, landlord and tenant uh, cases. And from time to time, I would have a tenant who would be really nervous about getting thrown out of their apartment. And I would always tell them, especially in the first day, like, they can't just throw you out your apartment. There are steps to evicting anyone. And I say that not to offer up free legal advice, but um, just to say the same thing is true with envy and evicting things out of our heart. You don't just get rid of it just because you say something or pronounce a statement over it. There are steps to getting rid of it from our lives. The first step to evicting envy is to normalize struggle in your life. At every single opportunity, you need to disabuse yourself of the notion that your life will ever be a utopia. Jesus tells his disciples in John 16, this is gospel. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. Part of the reason that I would encourage a social media fast for some people is that social media makes it almost impossible for us to normalize struggle because we see other people's highlight reels and we judge that against our day-to-day -day realities. And we think everybody else is thriving, but we're struggling. In this world, you will have trouble. There is a heaven, but this ain't it. There will always be a gap in between what you hope for and what you actually receive always in your life. And if we do not normalize struggle, if we do not normalize trouble in our life, we're always going to be susceptible to falling prey to envy because we're going to be thinking that utopia exists and we just, for whatever reason, don't have it. There's always going to be a gap in between what you hope for and what you get. Now, this does not mean that your life is going to be miserable, but it does mean that there's always something about what it means to live in a fallen and broken world that will never live up to the height of what we want it to live up to. And the best way to start off is to make sure that we are normalizing struggle. Secondly, we need to celebrate grace. You don't need to just normalize struggle. We also need to celebrate grace. What is grace? Grace is that God gives good things to people who don't deserve it. And this doesn't need to be just a theological concept in your head. This needs to be something that takes root in your heart. There's a, there's a scripture in Isaiah where it talks about the difference between the way we see the world and the way God sees the world. Isaiah 55, it says, uh, for 
My thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. As higher as the heavens are from the earth, that's how much higher my thoughts are than your thoughts, my ways are than your ways. The economy that God lives in is grace. And the quicker that you and I celebrate that God gives good things to, to people who don't deserve it, the quicker we will be able to dispel uh, envy from our hearts. God is different, and we should celebrate that because that's our only hope, ourselves. Uh, there's one story in Scripture where Jesus talks about being a shepherd, and he says that he is the kind of shepherd that if he had 100 sheep, if one of them walked away, he would leave 99 vulnerable to go after the one. What kind of shepherd would do that? It's funny, we all have a problem with that level of recklessness almost. Uh, we would have a problem with that unless we were the one that was wandering and needed to be found. There's another story where Jesus tells a parable about workers working in a vineyard. And there's a landowner that comes and picks up a bunch of different people at different periods in the day to get them to work on the field. He picks up one group at the crack of dawn, 6 a.m., another group at 9 a.m., another group at noon, then another group later in the day at 5 p.m. with just an hour left of work. Then the landowner lines up everybody in front and for payment. And he's starting with the person at 5 p.m. He gives everybody the same exact thing all the way from the person who worked at 5 p.m. till 6 p.m., to the person who worked for 12 hours through the heat of the day, at the very end of it, people were angry, and the landowner replies to them, he says, are you angry because I'm generous? There's another story about an older woman, a widow who does not have a lot of money. There are all these rich people giving and offering, but she puts in just her little two pennies into the offering plate. Scripture says that her small offering was more, worth more to God than huge sums of money. What does this tell us about God? One sheep gets more attention than 99. One-hour workers get the same paycheck as 12-hour workers. A widow's two pennies are worth more than huge sums. Grace is terrible math. As long as you and I operate in the economy of merit, you'll always be mad when someone else is winning and you feel like you're losing because it's going to make you feel like they're doing something that you're not doing, or God is rewarding them for their good actions. And if you know their lives, you're like, well, they're not living any better than I am. Why are they getting these good things? It's because God is gracious. That's the heart of the Christian message. God is gracious. He gives good things to people who don't deserve them. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.21 where it says, He made the one, Jesus, who did not know sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The great reversal. Jesus got what we deserved, separation from God, and we get what Jesus deserved, life with God. Grace. The more you celebrate grace, the more you open yourself up to the possibility that God gives good things to people who don't deserve them, including me and including you. Thirdly, we need to embrace our uniqueness. So normalize struggle, Celebrate grace. Embrace your uniqueness. Listen to the scripture about what God says about how he has formed and made you. For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wondrously made. Your works are wondrous, and I know this very well. 
My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret, when I was formed from the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was formless. All my days were written in your book and planned before a single one of them began. God, how precious, how precious your thoughts are to me, how vast their sum is. If I counted them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I wake up, I am still with you. You were uniquely shaped by God. Before you were formed, God knew exactly who you were. God has a plan for your life. God tells us in the other scripture that you are God's masterpiece. You are his workmanship, that God has specifically created you for a specific purpose. What does this mean? It means your life is not supposed to be like anybody else's life. And when you and I take our mind and we take our attention and we focus on other people, we are robbing ourselves of the uniqueness to which God has created us for. Their story is not your story. We need to embrace our uniqueness so that we do not miss out on what God has for us to do. Fourth, and this one is going to make some of you guys a little mad. It made me mad when I was writing it, so it's definitely going to make you mad. We need to expose the idols in our heart. Now, let me say this really quickly. Again, there is a difference between aspirations and envy. But wherever there is envy, there is an idol. An idol, by its very definition, is something that you are hoping to provide you with significance, meaning, or purpose. So not, that's not just that you want a good thing, but that you're hoping this good thing will make you feel significant, like you have a purpose, and like you have meaning. It's not bad to want good things. It's not bad at all. I think God has actually wired us to want good things and to go after good things in our life. But when we are believing that these things in your life that you're envious of other people having, that your life does not begin until you have this, that you don't have meaning until you have this, this is the seedbed of envy. And if you and I are ever going to have any hope, we need to expose these idols in our life. Here's the crazy thing about idols, y'all. They always, always, always overpromise and they underdeliver. In my brain, I kept on thinking, yo, when we hit... If, you know, this dude had 500 people, and yo, that would be so amazing if we had 500 people. 500 people came and left Renaissance, and every single time it happens, I go home feeling the exact same way as I did when it was 13 people here. They always overpromise and they underdeliver. And here's what C.S. Lewis says about it. C.S. Lewis says, when you think that the solution to your dissatisfaction is a new romantic partner or a new house or a new job, to quiet the inner sense of emptiness... You are chasing the wrong answers to the right question. The right question is, what will fill that neediness in me that will last? My answers of more work, career success, increased visibility and professional status has not worked. That answer will never work. When you are feeling envious about something, it will be a great time for you to stop and to ask yourself this question. What am I hoping that this thing was, is actually going to give me? What am I looking to this thing for? Am I looking to it to give me significance, meaning, and, and value, and, and purpose in life? And if you are, it's going to overpromise and underdeliver. It's not going to bring it for you. One of the best ways that we can evict envy from our heart is to expose the idol and say, listen, this thing, even if it's a good thing, it's not, gonna, it's not an ultimate thing in my life. Um, circumstantial changes in our life will never be able to fix heart-level problems. Idolatry is a heart thing. 
Now, lastly, this one is admittedly the most difficult because it requires you to do something and do something often. When you're feeling envy, I want you to celebrate and pray for the person you're envying. Normalized struggle, yes. Y'all was with me till I said that. Normalized struggle, yes. Celebrate grace, amen. Embrace our uniqueness. Hallelujah, pastor. Expose your idols, yes. Celebrate and pray for those people you're envying. I don't know about that one, pastor. I've done this and it works. Seriously. I've done this and it's painful, but it works. Here's what I want you to do. Praying for, pray for the people that you are envy, and praying for people is a powerful thing. Celebrate God's grace in their life. Thank God for the grace that he's given them to enjoy whatever the thing it is that they're enjoying, and in doing so, you will remind yourself that God is gracious, and it will get you out of a scarcity mentality that because they're winning, you could never win. Now, there's also something about prayer that makes you feel warmer for the people that you're praying for. You cannot envy and pray for someone at the same time. This is one of the reasons Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies. It's more for us than it is for them. Now, I don't want you just to stop at at praying for them. I want you to publicly celebrate them, share their successes, promote them, rejoice with those who rejoice. One of the things that's interesting that I found in my own life is that in different periods, particularly periods of life that hurt the most, I had a lot of people who were there to mourn with me. I didn't have as many people to celebrate with me the good things in my life. One of the really enduring witnesses of true gospel character formation taking place in your life is that you will be able to celebrate and to rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And here's the thing about this. You're going to do it before you feel it. There's so many things in life, in Scripture, that it calls us to do things well before you feel like doing them. Do not pray for somebody for two days and email me on Tuesday and say, hey, Pastor, it didn't work. I'm not doing that anymore. (laughs) I want you to put in your mind Easter as a place. And from now until Easter, whoever it is that you're envying, I want you to pray for them every single day. And I want you to celebrate God's grace in their life, and I want you to promote them and, and, and celebrate them publicly, all of the things that, the good things that are happening in your life, and watch your feelings catch up to your actions. We're going to do that right now. We're going to pray for those people that we are envying, celebrate God's grace in their life, and then I'll close us out in, in prayer. Heavenly Father, you know how inferior I feel when I measure my life up against theirs. And Lord, I know that you don't want me feeling that, not even for one second. Lord, help me to see my uniqueness and how you have created me. Help me to see your true character, that you want to give me good gifts. Help me to hold on to hope in the meantime, before these things come to fruition. God, don't let me believe something about you that's not true. Help me to hold on to hope. Jesus, let me pray. Amen.